Welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the 28th episode of the Rambling Brews podcast, hosted by yours truly. I do go by the name Tim, and it's been a couple weeks, I know. I told you guys last episode I was going to take a couple weeks off. I got a lot of things to do to get ready for baby number two. Uh, Quick update, the baby's not here yet. We're about a week away uh, when you're listening to this from the due date, so we'll see how that goes. Um, It could be any point now. We're pretty much ready to go, Um, as ready as we're going to be, I'd say. Um, We wish we were in a little bit different living situation just because of the space in our house is a little bit limited. We're trying to upsize a little bit. Uh, But anybody that knows anything about the housing market right now, it's unbelievably insane. Um, So we're still looking every single day, but it's bittersweet. We really love our neighborhood. Our neighbors are awesome. Our neighbors have kids and they could all grow up together. But the house, uh, the house size is really just kind of kind of catching up to us right now. But that's really the only thing on the radar for us. And you know, while we're waiting for the baby, you guys already know the Coors lights are still flowing. So speaking of that, we've got a lot to cover in the world of sports. I mean, like I said, it's been a couple weeks since I recorded and dropped an episode. A lot has happened. The NFL season, I believe, from the time I'm recording this is 12 days away. So that's pretty exciting uh, for for football fans out there. And I think college football might have actually already started or maybe it's starting this weekend when I'm recording it. I'm not quite sure on that. I know they usually have like some jabroni schools play the first week before the big dogs get after it. It's like usually some Mac schools or some schools that nobody really cares about. And then the next week is usually like a big out-of-conference game or non-conference game. I remember they used to have the, uh, what was it called, the the Chick-fil-A kickoff game, I think it was, that they sponsored it. It was like down in the, the Georgia Dome or Mercedes-Benz Stadium now, I guess it would be in Atlanta. And I remember a couple of years ago, West Virginia just getting pumped by Alabama. So I think that's right. I'm pretty sure that's right. But it, it, at any rate, man, it's going to be awesome. The football season's getting ready to start. NHL season is about a month and a half away. We're going to have training camp coming up here in a couple weeks. I'm going to have some cool guests on to uh, to break down the, the NHL season and the preview on that. Um, and obviously the big news of the week and the, the last couple weeks, and we talked about it on the last episode and we teased what was going to happen, but All Elite Wrestling had CM Punk return. We're going to dive into that. I cannot wait to get into it all. And I guess we got to really start with CM Punk. I mean, this guy, just an unbelievable return, a hellacious pop he got from the United Center, and I'll back up a little bit. So just based on the rumor that he was going to return um, in Chicago, because CM Punk is from Chicago, if you didn't know, and the United Center's in Chicago. It's where the Blackhawks and the Chicago Bulls play in the NBA, and they sold that arena out in five minutes, like an NBA NHL arena for a startup wrestling company. Now, granted, they have a lot of stars, and the big rumor that Punk was returning really helped that, but that's a hell of an impressive feat to sell out an NBA, one of the biggest NBA NHL arenas in the in the country in five minutes, uh, just based on the anticipation that CM Punk was going to return after seven years. And, you know, they have one of the most passionate fan bases in all of sports and entertainment, AEW. They pop for everything. They just want to be totally different than WWE. Anything WWE, they boo. I think uh, this past week they mentioned Vince McMahon's name on the broadcast, which is pretty crazy, and the fans just booed the hell out of whoever said it. I think it was Don Callis. He's the manager for, um, I think he's the champion still, Kenny Omega. Um, but at any rate, they just, they're so passionate and it was just so awesome to see, you know, leading up to it. And I guess before we get to that though, before we get to the actual return, last episode I mentioned I was going to go to an AEW show in Pittsburgh. My, uh, my neighbor, her brother works for AEW, shout out to Jeff Lewis. Uh, what a boss, got us some nice comp tickets, uh, really great seats. 
you know, sitting pretty much ringside, but not on the floor, just in the first section up. It was at the Peterson Events Center where the uh, University of Pittsburgh plays basketball. And let me just say, the Peterson Events Center is an absolutely brutal venue for a wrestling event or for a concert or for anything not sports related. The only thing cool to see there would be basketball. A couple years back, I saw Johnny West and the boys from West Virginia go up there and win in overtime. It was awesome. Johnny West, corner three, automatic. Um, and I saw back in high school, I saw Eric Devendorf, uh, the stud player from Syracuse. He was just getting crucified by the uh, student section there and buried. It was like when he had allegations of uh, beating up his girlfriend or something and the crowd was chanting, you hit girls, dun, 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 dun. you hit girls. Like, it was crazy. Uh, just an unbelievable environment. I'm a West Virginia grad, so I hate the University of Pittsburgh through and through. But for a sporting event, it's a nice, it's a nice arena. But for wrestling or a concert or come on, I mean, it was brutal. You could barely hear the promos. The acoustics were terrible. You really couldn't hear the music. And then the pre-tape promos that they show on TV, they play them in the screen or on the screen, I should say. If you've never been to a wrestling event, they play them on the screen live in the arena. So it's always difficult to hear because on TV they at least cut out the uh, the noise of the arena. So it's just the the interview or whatever it is on the pre-tape. But in the arena, it's very difficult to hear. And it just, it wasn't a pleasant experience, like uh, with regard to listening to the promos. My neighbors who I went with, uh, they had never seen a wrestling show live and really don't follow wrestling. So it was pretty cool to get their opinion and kind of see them reacting to everything. You know, for me being a little bit smart to the business, I've been watching it for a long time and kind of knowing what's going on and, um, you know, behind the scenes and all that stuff. It was cool to see that. It was a, it was a pretty good show. I'll say that, Um, you know, the the wrestlers are high flying, acrobatic, like athletic performers. The matches are highly choreographed, and a lot of cooperation is the big knock I have. I mean, they're doing things that really wouldn't happen. Um, and I know it's wrestling. I know like a lot of that stuff wouldn't happen in a real fight. You're not going to Irish whip somebody across the ring off the ropes and then you know nail them into the turnbuckle and punch them in the head ten times and they're not not knocked out. I get that. It's theater. It's a show, but you know whenever like you're trying to wrestle somebody and you're trying to make it seem like it's an act that you're trying to you beat them or beat them up or hurt them or whatever. And then you have cases where the other team is like in a tag team match, they're helping each other balance and stuff on the top rope. So they can do these highly acrobatic athletic moves. It's a little bit corny to me. I just don't really like when they do that, but it's impressive. I mean, they're athletes like jumping over the top rope and doing springboards and stuff like that. It's pretty awesome to watch and like entertaining. It's like Cirque du Soleil pretty much, but that crowd loves it. Um, they're so over with that crowd. And, um, you know, I just don't particularly care for it. The biggest moment of the night was uh, in Pittsburgh, obviously, Dr. Britt Baker, uh, who's pretty crazy. I know we talked about this, I think, on the podcast a couple weeks back when Ray was on, but Dr. Britt Baker's the um, AEW Women's Champion, and she's actually a dentist. So, like, her gimmick, you know, it's funny, they play on the, the video on the screen, and they're, like, showing footage of, like, people pulling teeth and stuff, like, teeth x-rays, because she's a dentist, and she's Britt Baker, DMD. She's so over with the crowd, it's unbelievable. And... She had one of the sickest jackets I've ever seen in my life because she's from Pittsburgh. Obviously, she's going to play it up to the home crowd. Technically, she's from Punxsutawney. So if you know where that is in relation to Pittsburgh, it's where that jabroni uh, Punxsutawney Phil the uh, groundhog comes out and tells everybody there's six more weeks of winter. I honestly really don't know, and this is probably bad that I don't know this, but I really don't know if like other states pay attention to that or it's just Pennsylvania. <laughs> but you know, my, my favorite groundhog is uh, Gus. What's his name? Yeah, Gus. He's the guy like uh, the the dude on the lottery, the second most famous groundhog in PA. But anyway, I digress. But that's where she's actually from. It's Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. It's about, I want to say like an hour and a half or so maybe from Pittsburgh. 
Uh, but we claim her as a as a Pittsburgh hometown hero. So she comes out and she has this sick jacket. It's like a black jacket with black and gold. It's all uh, Penguins and Steelers colors, and it has like a the old um, RoboCop or the Robo Penguin uh, logo, like the triangle, and then it has a Steeler logo. I think there was a Pirate P on there. Not sure why. That's kind of embarrassing. But other than that. It was pretty sick. It was just all like jeweled out and everything. And she was so over, man. She came out, cut a promo. And then uh, I think it was Red Velvet or somebody, whoever she was wrestling, uh, came out and interrupted. And they had a, a little squash, a little, little fight. Um, but it was pretty cool. I mean, it was it was awesome to be in front of a live crowd again. Like, that's the thing. Like, oh, I shouldn't say in front of a live crowd, like I'm in front of them. But like being in an event where there's a live crowd, a live event, it was just really cool. Over the last year and a half, we haven't really been able to do that. And uh, wrestling above anything else it's really just dull with no fans. I mean, they're really playing for the reaction. They either want to get booed if they're a heel or they want to get cheered if they're a baby face. And that's kind of how the business goes. And you, you live and die by the crowd. So when there's no crowd there, it makes it very difficult. I could only imagine how hard it is to be a wrestler um, and have to perform in front of an empty arena and have the emotion and everything you would get from the feed off the crowd. It's, you know, it, it was an awesome show. I'll say that uh, definitely cool. Big budget, man. Obviously, Tony Khan's got a ton of money. The funniest part of the show was, at the very beginning, um, Justin Roberts, he's like the ring announcer. So before the show, they tape, they have like YouTube shows. I think AEW Dark is one of them, and then AEW Elevation. They're just on YouTube, I think on like Tuesdays and Thursdays or something like that. And then they have live TV on Wednesday night, which is AEW Dynamite on TNT. That's what we went to. And then they have AEW Rampage, which debuted, I think, the Friday after I went. And that's the day that CM Punk returned. We'll get to that in a second. But Justin Roberts, the announcer, he comes out right before we're about to go live on um, TNT. And he's like, he introduces uh, Tony Khan, who's the son of, I think his name's Shad Khan, who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they own uh, Fulham Football Club in the English Premier League and soccer. Uh, they own a bunch of other stuff. They're just really rich. I think they like patented... Uh, how to repair like car bumpers or, or something like that. It's something to do with automobile bumpers. But anyway, Justin Roberts gets on the mic and he's like, before we go live, we want to introduce you to the man who saved pro wrestling, Tony Khan. And like the crowd goes bananas. And if you've ever seen Tony Khan, this guy is like, you know, just super small, scrawny, um, just happy-go-lucky, smiling, he's bouncing around. He kind of looks like he's on Adderall or something constantly. His eyes are like bugging out of his head. Um, but he comes out and I just thought it was so funny how they said like the man that saved pro wrestling, because honestly, I mean, AEW is a great startup. Like I said, it's very impressive what they've done. It's been two years and their ratings are pretty solid, honestly, but WWE is still doing like three times as many viewers on their main show. And then on Friday night, SmackDown, they're doing, doing great. Uh, this past weekend, I think they had WWE SummerSlam. I think they had like 50 billion views or something across all platforms on the internet, on YouTube and across Peacock and WWE network and all that stuff. So still a long way to go. And I know that's not fair really to compare it because WWE has been around for 75 or 80 years, you know, from uh, WWF to WWF to WWE and where they're at today and everything like that. So I understand. And they're in like every country and AEW is still kind of a niche audience. Um, but I just thought it was funny, like the man who saved pro wrestling. I'm not really sure how he's saving it because they've got some big stars, but a lot of their guys are jabroni, untrained um, wrestlers that constantly get hurt. You got to follow that at AEW botches on Twitter. Um, even if you're an AEW fan, it's funny. It's just like he just shows uh, gifs and clips of these guys completely butchering their moves. Like 
doing um, back like backflips and trying to land on on people and they completely miss and then the person like sells it like they actually landed on them and stuff like that. I know AEW is doing everything they can to get that Twitter account disabled. Um, but it's pretty funny. I think it's at AEW botches and I'm not saying that to like discount AEW. I'm actually starting to watch it a little bit more and try to get into it. It's just some of the wrestlers I'm just not into, but they're over with their crowd and they give their crowd what they want. It's some of the craziest, like most different type of people in that building at the Peterson event center that I saw. I mean, like there's people in suits, there's people in polos, and then there's people dressed up head to toe, carrying around AEW world titles or new Japan pro wrestling titles you know, just unbelievable what some of these people were wearing. Uh, but pretty cool to see people just excited about wrestling again. It's a great time to, to be a wrestling fan right now. Um, and honestly, like, so I want to pivot over to CM Punk returning. So like I said, so much anticipation. So that day he tweeted out like the picture from the last dance with the security guard, uh, the last dance being the documentary with uh, Michael Jordan on the Chicago Bulls last season where they were all together with Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan and the the last title they won together uh, before everything got split up and the security guard that was always with Michael Jordan and he's like doing the shoulder shrug that's what uh, CM Punk tweeted and and put on his IG um, story so it was pretty cool he was like hinting at it and they weren't really hiding it I think it's really difficult to keep a secret in today's era but honestly the anticipation was unbelievable and it delivered like more than anybody could have ever imagined. So right when they came on the air, it was a uh, rampage, the debut of their AEW rampage show, which kind of sucked because it was Friday night at 10 o'clock. And I thought maybe they should have done it on AEW dynamite on TNT at eight o'clock would have been prime time on Wednesday night. Instead, they did it on Friday night at 10 o'clock, but I understand they want to promote the new show and they got a big pop in ratings. I think a little bit over a million, which is good for a debut show. And especially in this era with all the streaming and everything and all the other options. But whenever they came on, the the fans were chanting CM Punk, CM Punk, CM Punk. Like it was so loud. It was unbelievably loud, this crowd. And they were all in unison. And the announcers weren't really saying anything. They just let the crowd get after it. And um, they were panning over the audience and everything. People had signs up like if CM Punk isn't here, we riot and stuff like that. And it was cool. Um, it had like a real ECW feel back in the day, like the extreme championship wrestling, like how hostile the crowd was and how much energy was in the building. And then sure as shit, like 10 seconds after they come on the air, um, punk's entrance music, which is one of the best entrance musics of all time is called to personality by living color. Just an unbelievable, I might have to put that song as the outro for the, uh, the episode today, but, um, just it, it hits and immediately the fans go bananas, dude. They go bananas. They're like throwing babies in the air and people are going crazy. There was grown men in the crowd crying because um, people haven't seen CM Punk for seven years and they, they've they been teasing it. People have been saying CM Punk's coming back this year. CM Punk's coming back next year. And a lot of people thought maybe he'd come back to WWE. I think if you thought that, you probably don't know anything about CM Punk because the reason he left in the first place, which he touched on a little bit in his uh, promo, um after it took him like two and a half minutes to get to the ring, he actually ran out of entrance music. The entrance music went off uh, because he took so long to get to the ring, but you could tell he was emotional. Um, and he finally got in there. He grabbed the mic. The fans were going bananas for him. He kind of explained himself, said he was sorry, uh, you know, basically for anybody that uh, had a problem with his, you know, personal decisions for leaving WWE uh, a couple years back, you know, seven years prior, whenever he was, um, you know, right in the thick of things for the main event. And he kind of explained that the place that he was at was making him sick. 
you know, his um, his body was aching. He wasn't able to get breaks. There's a lot of stories that go into it. If you want a little bit of a deep dive into CM Punk, I don't think they're friends now, but go listen to uh, CM Punk on Colt Cabana's Art of Wrestling, I think it's called, podcast, back from like 2014. It's like a two-part episode. It's pretty awesome, but Punk details everything, like from when he had um, misdiagnosed MRSA and stuff. He had like, they were just kept giving him Z-Packs, and he was getting sick. He was like shitting himself in the ring because he had so many Z-Packs while he's wrestling. Uh, he got knee surgery, and then like a day later, or right right when he was coming out of the hospital, Vince McMahon called him and was like, hey, uh, we just booked you for a match in two weeks with uh, against Ryback, who everybody knows, who famously uh, CM Punk called steroid guy Ryback. Um, and Jim Cornette, one of the best managers and funniest podcasters out there, calls him Fatback. Um, and f- funny side note, I know this is Rambling Bruce podcast, so I'm rambling a little bit, but funny side note, Ryback, he's not wrestling anymore. And probably like maybe six or seven months ago, or maybe even a year ago, he put up a poll on his Twitter and asked like the fans, what, uh, where should I go next? And he put like AEW, WWE, like New Japan Pro Wrestling, TNA, or Retire. And like Retire got like 82% of the vote. And he was furious. It was so funny. And he like uh, tweeted about how people were just doing that to piss him off. So he put up a new poll thinking that was going to work. What an idiot. He put up a new poll. And then this time it was like 90% retire. It was the funniest shit. But that guy, uh, he was uh, CM Punk was supposed to wrestle him in like a tables, ladders, and chairs match two weeks after knee surgery. And uh, just all this stuff. And he talked about it a little bit in his promo. And he basically said, hey, I'm going to be here to stay. Um, you know, in 2011 or whatever it was when he first joined WWE, he said like at that point he left the world of professional wrestling he loved to go to WWE, essentially. And now he's returned back to, to pro wrestling. So it was pretty cool to see. He called out Darby Allen and Sting. I guess he's going to wrestle Darby Allen at the first pay-per-view on September 5th. I think it's called All Out. I think it's also in Chicago. Um, so that's going to be pretty awesome, but I just can't get over the pop this guy got in this era. It was like a stone cold rock type pop. Just unbelievable, man. It was like, you know, you don't see that really much anymore from the crowd because, and the sad thing is like, everybody always has their phones out and stuff. Nobody just lives in the moment. That's the one thing that pisses me off all the time. You go to like a concert or you go to a hockey game or something and people are just like videoing the game or videoing the concert. You're, you're probably drunk when you're doing that, so I understand. Because when you get home the next day and you watch those videos back, they're usually dog shit quality and they don't sound great. And you're just like, why did I do that? Instead of just watching the show. But it, it was cool because like the AEW crowd, they really didn't do that. People were living in the moment. He jumped into the crowd and stuff like that. Um, so the internet was completely buzzing on that. I mean, it was getting so much traction. It was trending number one worldwide, I think. Um you know, I, I just think that they could have had a bigger number probably if they would have done it on primetime on AEW Dynamite. But and then in true AEW fashion, now again, I don't like bashing them. Um, but after that, they had a mass. It, it, mind you, this this Rampage show is one hour, so it's ten to eleven. It's one hour. It was live. I think it's taped now, but it was live that night. And they could have had the whole show just be around CM Punk. I mean, he was so over. And it, the first segment took thirty minutes or twenty five minutes. The next match they had like. Luchasaurus, this guy dresses up as a dinosaur. And he, it was like a tag match. I don't even know who his partner is. It might've been like Jungle Boy or something like that, but it just didn't, it didn't match the energy that Punk had. And I thought they kind of deflated the building a little bit because those matches just aren't there. They're not over. People don't really care. And like, there's so much cooperation and uh, choreography and these guys like jumping up off the top rope, doing backflips, slamming each other in the head, doing moves that are just ridiculous that they had to cooperate 
and then they're getting a two count. So it just, it just didn't sit well with me, and I turned it off. Honestly, I turned it off. I just wanted to see CM Punk. Um, so I'll probably you know continue watching anytime Punk's on. And you know he did hint uh, this past week on AEW Dynamite, so the Wednesday after his debut, that Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson might be coming from WWE as well. So there's some some uh, you know rumors around Adam Cole from NXT possibly coming to AEW. He's dating Britt Baker. Who I talked about a little bit ago, and he's the guy that had a program and a match uh, with Pat McAfee that we talked about on the podcast. That was great. Uh, definitely one of the best, you know, rivalries of the year for that brief period of time before they took McAfee off TV. Who's he's now an announcer on uh, SmackDown. But so a lot to be excited for if you're an AEW fan, and it's possible that the Nature Boy, woo, Ric Flair goes to AEW too. Uh, he showed up the next night after. Um, I went to the show on that Wednesday On Thursday. He was down at some pay-per-view in Mexico with, uh, his daughter, Charlotte Flair's boyfriend or fiance. I think his name's Andrade, if I'm not butchering that, but he was wrestling Kenny Omega for the, um, some championship in Mexico. Cause Kenny Omega has like every championship from all these different companies, which is pretty crazy. But you know, Ric Flair, he got in the ring. He didn't look great. I mean, he's like 70 years old. He just had a couple big health scares in the past couple years, but he's so over. He can get in there and just look like shit wrestling-wise and still, you know, the crowd loves him. I mean, some of the promos this guy used to do, just go YouTube some Ric Flair promos. They're great. Uh, he would be canceled so fast today when he used to say like, you know, I'm Ric Flair. I could kiss any woman in this room, even that fat one over there and make her cry. <laughs> I used to just love like some of the shit he would say, limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun, dude. It's just unbelievable how great he was on the mic. Um, so, you know, swig a beer for pro wrestling because uh, it's a great time to be a fan. As I said, um, I would definitely advise checking in on it. And honestly, like I, some of my buddies and people I know always chirp me for watching wrestling and say, how, how do you watch wrestling? It's so fake. It's so stupid, blah, 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 blah. But then they turn around, and they watch the Avengers or they watch those stupid ass superhero movies that are totally fake and phony and could never happen. Phonier than a football bat. And then they're telling me that pro wrestling is stupid. At least pro wrestling is like somewhat of an athletic contest. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit built up. Obviously, like I said, you're not going to whip somebody across the ring and everything, but you know, when you're actually having a fight and you're trying to pin somebody or trying to beat somebody, it's an element of entertainment. But if you can't, if you can't watch wrestling and get some entertainment out of it, I, I don't know. It's just, it, but then you sit, you turn around and watch superhero movies on things that really could never happen. When like in wrestling, these things are happening. Now they're predetermined results, but I'm mean, whatever. I could go on all day, all night about this, but swig a beer for pro wrestling. Uh, it's a hell of a time to be a fan right now. Last note I'll say on, on wrestling uh, I forgot about was John Cena and um, Roman Reigns had a great promo battle right before their match on SummerSlam. And the only thing I remember from it was, I guess Cena came out, he's promoting a movie, so he comes back to WWE to kind of get some eyes on it and eyes on his movie and everything, similar to what The Rock does. But he had a promo and he mentioned something like, you know, him and Roman Reigns mentioned something about like Cena being, um, you know, he's, he's consistent. He's always there, but Reigns was like, ah, oh, you're just like the missionary position. You get the job done, but you're, you know, you're just blah. And, uh, then Reigns was like, yeah, you're like the missionary position. That's, that's good for you. It obviously wasn't good enough for Nikki Bella, <laughs> who was, uh, John Cena's fiance, who they broke up. Uh, and now she's getting married and I think she has a kid with another guy. Um, and they have the, the total Bella show her and her sister. So I thought that was pretty funny. Some edgy stuff WWE was letting them do. I don't know if that was scripted or not. Usually, um, you know, Roman Reigns and, and John Cena probably have the leeway to say whatever they want. Um, 
but man, it was it was pretty hilarious that uh, that they went there. I wanted to make that note, uh, but man, I need another swig of beer before we dive into anything else. It's been a couple of weeks. I got to get my rhythm back here. Um, but yeah, other than wrestling, I mean, there's been a lot of downtime in the sports world. Like I said in the intro, I've been watching a ton of TV, uh, playing video games as usual. Uh, NHL 22 is coming out pretty soon. It looks pretty awesome. I know everybody always says every time the the trailers get released every year, all the game looks the same. It's been the same since NHL 15. And largely it has. The animations are uh, similar. The celebrations, the gameplay is a little similar. This year, it's promising they're going to the uh, Frostbite engine. So if people don't know what that is, I really don't either. I'm not a technical guy. I just know FIFA and Madden have the Frostbite engine, and it's a little smoother. Um, it's a little more realistic. It's a little better you know, realistic player movement and stuff like that. So that should be cool. But the one knock on NHL is like they always focus, I think, they always focus so much on things I feel like don't really get noticed in the game. So like, for instance, this year on the next generation consoles, which is like the Xbox Series X and the PS5, uh, the PlayStation 5, I think it's also coming out for the, the uh, you know, the old systems, the ones that are currently out, like the PS4 and the Xbox One. But they spend so much time like using the graphics updates to like update things that people aren't really going to see. Like for instance, this year they're going to have the, you're going to be able to see like the light reflect off the player's visor on their helmet or the ice looks cleaner or the skates, they, they spray um, more snow and stuff like that. But like people watch the cutscenes maybe the first two or three times they play the game to see the improvements and see how cool it is. But then when you play online, everybody's just mashing the X button trying to get to the face off so they can start playing again. And it would be better if they would maybe, add some things into the, um, you know, into the series like GM connected, for instance, I know people have been talking about that a lot. It's, it's basically like Madden has the online dynasty or I think NCAA used to have it hell like 10 years ago when it was still out. Basically you like can get in a, in a league with, you know, up to 32 teams and you could like have everybody. I mean, you don't have to have that many people, but, but basically the gist of it is you can play in a league like and play a real season with like fantasy lineups and stuff. You can have a fantasy draft with all your buddies. It's pretty cool. It keeps the stats. And then you go to the playoffs and everything. It's pretty awesome. It's kind of a little bit better than just playing one-on-one for nothing. Um, And it's stuff like that that they should put into the game. And I've seen the creators for the last four or five years say, hey, it's on the list. It's on the list. It's on the list. Well, then they turn around. They put like three-on-three in the game outside. Nobody cares about that or or one-on-one-on-one and like other stupid little game modes that are probably cheaper to develop and cheaper to maintain. And you see why they get criticism and honestly, they probably deserve it. But at any rate, NHL 22 comes out. I think it's October 15th. I cannot wait. That means hockey season's right around the corner. And I think video games are awesome. I know, um, you know, not everybody plays them, but I think they're good for the soul. So I I always play them. It it helps me relax. Um, You know, I I like just bullshitting with the boys, hanging out, having fun. It's kind of like we're just chilling, you know, having a couple beers, playing some video games and kind of, you're not really caring about anything else in the world. It's pretty fun. So I'm going to keep playing video games. Probably I'll be like 50, 60 years old, still playing video games and people will be chirping me, but whatever, that's what I like to do. Um, but I can't wait for that game to come out. And then, like I've said before on the, the podcast, when it comes to TV, I watch a lot of YouTube and I got down a crazy YouTube rabbit hole. Um, I was watching like these people that, and I'm sure that listeners out there have done the same thing or something similar, but I've watched people take like trips to North Korea or trips to like Uzbekistan or some other crazy countries that you would never think you could go to or would want to go to. And I found this guy, his name is Drew Binsky, uh, B-I-N-S-K-Y. He's actually got a pretty cool Instagram, but he's been to every country, um, all 195 recognized countries in the world. 
Um, and not just like flying through, like he stays for 10 days, two weeks, and he like documents how he, uh, gets his visa to all these countries and how difficult it is. And like how, um, you know, when you get there, especially countries like North Korea or like Turkmenistan and stuff like that, where like all the, I think it was Turkmenistan he was talking about, but all there's, they have the Guinness world record for the most, uh, marble buildings in the world, like in one city. And I don't remember what the city's called, but they're all these big white marble buildings. They, they're just so luxurious and everything, but they're all empty. Every single one of them's empty because nobody has any money in this country basically to live there, but they want to like show to the world that they're rich and they have all this money and blah, 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 blah. Like the guy, you're not allowed to have dogs in that country because uh, I think the prime minister or whatever the uh, ruler of the country is, if it's president or whatever the case may be, he doesn't like the smell of dog poop. So he refuses to let anybody have any dogs in the country. If you uh, like are in the city limits, you're only allowed to drive a white car. Everything has to be white to match the white marble buildings. It's incredible. And like he documents how North Korea, you know, people follow you around and you're only allowed to do certain things. You're not allowed to take pictures of stuff. You're not allowed to look at stuff. You're not allowed to joke about anything like and it's pretty awesome. I mean, it, it's obviously not awesome with the way some of these people are treated and some of these people live. But it's just fascinating. I think that's probably the right word that some of these countries are just so, so much different and so crazy. And some of the stuff that they believe in, um, you know, it, it's 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 weird. It's it's really weird. That's, that's the only way I can put it. And maybe that makes me sound like an asshole. Uh, I'm not knocking their cultures and stuff like that. I'm just saying it's it's very fascinating how some of these people live. Um, cause like, honestly, North Korea is fascinating to me just in general. Like they're similar to that Turkmenistan where they have all these buildings that are just empty. They, they look like they're full supermarkets, you know, but their people don't have any food there. They're starving. They're eating rats off the street and stuff like that. You should go watch the, I can't remember her name, but, uh, Joe Rogan on his podcast, um, had, had a, like somebody that defected from North Korea not long ago, or maybe, no, I'm sorry. It was long ago. It was like when she was 14, I think she's like 30 or something now, but she documents like how life was and how they had to flee and not tell, you know, her dad and stuff like that, because if her, they found out her dad knew, and it's just, it's, it's a very, very, um, crazy story. Uh, definitely interesting, but sad at the same time, but definitely a good listen. I checked that out, but I'm interested in all kinds of stuff like that, but I get down these YouTube rabbit holes all the time. Um, but, and then, you know, I, I was watching, um, you know, some documentaries. I like watching documentaries. If you haven't seen the malice at the palace documentary, I would suggest watching it. Um, if you don't know what the malice at the palace is, I think it was back in 2004. I remember where I was. I was with my buddy, Troy. I'm pretty sure we were just hanging out at his house and it was all over ESPN. It was like the seventh or eighth game of the season that year. It was the Indiana Pacers versus the Detroit Pistons in the NBA. And they just played a big Eastern Conference final series the year before that. And I think Detroit ended up going on to win the championship, the NBA championship that year. I want to say they beat the Lakers in 2003, I think. Um, but anyway, so what happened basically was they had a big... Um, they had a big time matchup and Indiana was killing them in Detroit. And at the end of the game, I guess somebody told, you know, Ron Artest, Ron Artest was a hothead uh, player, um, you know, had some mental, mental health problems and stuff like that. And was seeing a, you know, a therapist and all that. And they, they outlined that in the documentary, like in great detail, but um, you know, they, they, sh they show basically like he kind of lost his cool a little bit. And he, he had done that. He's done that a lot over his career. He's retired now, but he's been known to kind of lose his cool a little bit on the court. And he had a really hard foul on Ben Wallace, who I guess Ben Wallace was already pissed off because I think his brother just passed away or was killed a few days prior. Um, I think that's the case. 
correct me if I'm wrong there, but I'm pretty sure it's a family member. I want to say I'm almost certain it's his brother. But basically, he had a lot on his mind, and he was already kind of irritated, obviously, and sad, and had a lot of built-up emotion and everything. And Ron Artest fouled the shit out of him on basically a meaningless play. I mean, the game was over, and Ben Wallace shoved him, and like a big skirmish broke out. Nothing too crazy. It happens uh, in basketball and, and really in any sport. It's kind of just a little pushing and shoving. And Ron Artest went over, and he laid on the scorer's table, which at the time, and probably up to like the last year or so, I always thought he was just kind of being a dick. You know, like just kind of going over there and trying to be a heel, be an arrogant asshole and get on the scorer's table and lay there. But actually, he had mentioned like his therapist said, you know, whenever you get in that place where you you, you have a lot of rage or whatever, um, just try to find a quiet place and sit down and give yourself five minutes before you do anything. And that's kind of what he was doing. Uh, you know, he picked the scorer's table, which is pretty funny, but still he's laying there. And then all of a sudden, somebody in the crowd chucks a beer at him. And then from there, all hell breaks loose. Steven Jackson, Jermaine O'Neal, Ron Artest, those three guys are the main people in this documentary, but they were up in the crowd beating the shit out of these fans. And then later it went down on the uh, on the court. And uh, a guy that came out on the court looked just like Turtle from Entourage. He's actually in the documentary. He's playing victim like a jabroni. He went out there and squared up with Ron Artest and got punched for his efforts. Uh, but he's he tried to sue the NBA and stuff like that after. But he came out on the court and he basically like squared up with our test. He looked like a complete idiot in this documentary. This guy was a complete jabroni. Uh, and then they go back and they show that there was like only a few cops and no security to kind of get these players out of the stands and then get the fans from coming on the court. I mean, how many people are on an NBA basketball team? There's like 12 or 13. And then you got your coaches and maybe some guys that aren't playing that are just sitting the bench in suits. And I think Reggie Miller, the legend, was one of the guys in suits or in a suit. And it's basically like those 15 people or 16 people, whatever it is, against, you know, 20,000 fans. These people are just throwing stuff. They're coming out on the court. They're trying to fight. It's a crazy scene. And it outlines the player side of things. And uh, the funniest part of the whole thing was Ron Artest. Afterwards, he came into the locker room and he basically said to Jermaine O'Neal, which caused them to fight. These two guys are teammates. He's like, yo, you think we're going to get in trouble? <laughs> Meanwhile, they were just in the stands for a half hour fighting the fans. Just a huge black eye um, on the uh, on the NBA at the time, and immediately after that, like they just blamed all the all the players. They blamed Jermaine O'Neal, Stephen Jackson, Ron Artest, Ben Wallace, all those guys. They didn't blame any of the fans or give them any accountability. Really, uh, Ron Artest, I think he got a seventy three game suspension, lost you know probably ten million dollars. Uh, Jermaine O'Neal was you know never really looked at the same. Stephen Jackson was traded, I think like. It was, you know, crazy, crazy what happened. Um, still to look back on it all this, you know, all these years later. But I would definitely recommend it. It's on Netflix. It's like an hour. It's um, it's an incredible documentary. Just a cool, they show like a lot of footage from the uh, security cameras in the arena and stuff like that and how the security and the cops really uh, were so outnumbered. They really couldn't do their job and the players were really in trouble. Um, and luckily, they got out of there with nothing crazy. I mean, there was people frantically calling the police saying, you got to get to the, the palace at Auburn Hills, which was, uh, was the building's name, which has uh, since been torn down. But, you know, it, it's pretty it's pretty unbelievable to watch. I would definitely uh, recommend checking that out. If you've ever heard of this story or even if you haven't heard of this story, it's pretty awesome to watch. Um, so swig a beer for those guys, man. Uh, and, and for that documentary, I know it's probably like 17 years you know, too late, but it's better late than never. Um, but it was pretty awesome to watch. So definitely check that out. So we'll get this core's light for that.
And staying with TV, Peaky Blinders, uh, the new season coming out. I saw the release date is tentatively February 2022. I cannot wait for that. It's been so long because of COVID and everything. It's been a year past due, but I cannot wait to to see that. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. Probably my favorite show ever. Uh, so can't wait to see uh, Cillian Murphy and Tommy Shelby and the boys um, back in February. And Ted Lasso, uh, my buddy Ack, he's been telling me for like over a year now, basically, you got to watch Ted Lasso. You got to watch Ted Lasso. It's awesome. It's like the story of this guy. He like goes over and coaches in the Premier League, but I don't even think he's a soccer coach. I really don't know the whole premise about it. I just know it's an unbelievable show and everybody's talking about it. Um, I haven't watched it yet. I think this is season two that's out now, but my biggest gripe with it is, and this might be the most first world problems thing you've ever heard, but they Apple. it's on Apple TV and they're releasing it one episode per week. So they're not releasing the whole season and letting you binge watch it like I like to do. But I mean, is that not the biggest like crock of shit you've ever heard? That kind of makes me not want to watch it. It makes me not want to support Apple TV. You know, it's funny because I have like, you know, older people that listen to the podcast or older listeners or my family members that used to have to like get up and go physically change the channel or turn the volume up on the actual television set. Now we can watch TV on our phones, our iPads or whatever. You can use your phone as a remote, stuff like that. So I know there's not a lot to complain about when it comes to technology, but I just think that's a slap in the face, man. I think it's a slap in the face to, to your consumer. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm going to watch it, but I'm going to wait till the season two, the whole season drops and then I can kind of get a uh, sign up for Apple TV and I can watch, you know, I'll probably try to hammer that free trial and try to knock it out before I actually have to pay for Apple TV boss move. But, um, you know, I, I just, does anybody else out there agree with me? I'd love to hear about that. I love having people reach out to me and tell me because I really, I don't understand what the philosophy is. I think Apple TV also has that, um, show newsroom. I think it's called newsroom. That's supposed to be pretty good that I haven't seen either, but they do the same thing. They release it one episode per week. And honestly, I couldn't imagine that. I don't remember what life was like before they just, you know, put it on a stream service and you could watch everything. Like, so Fresh Prince of Bel Air is one of my favorite shows of all time. But like, what I've watched it, like, if it was, if it, if it came out in this era and they released it like on like a sitcom, like on ABC or whatever it was on, I think it was on NBC. So say it was on NBC and they had it like every Tuesday night, once a week. Would I have watched it? I don't know. I really don't know. And maybe I missed out on great shows, but I just think. It's an inconvenience to me to not let me want to watch it or not let me watch it when I want to watch it. So that's why I'm going to wait until the whole season has been released and then I'll just go back and watch it. I've seen a lot of people complaining about this on the internet. So I hope, you know, you guys understand where I'm coming from. I'm not the only one here, but I think it's a little bit ridiculous. Uh, But at any rate, I'm definitely going to check out Ted Lasso. And speaking of soccer or football, uh, a couple notes I wanted to point out which I thought were pretty crazy. I mean, the transfer process in soccer, I don't want to get into all that, but basically we're Players get bought by other teams and stuff like that. It's not how your, you know, your American sports are with trades and stuff like that and salary caps. They basically just, you know, agree to transfer a player to another team for a ridiculous amount of money. Um, so there were some major ones in the past couple of weeks. Lionel Messi from Barcelona. He's been there, I think, since he was like 14 years old. He played on their, um, you know, they're kind of their development team as a young young kid. And then obviously he's like in his mid-30s now, probably the best soccer player ever, my favorite soccer player. Um, certainly, uh, maybe he's not the best soccer player ever, but certainly, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, he certainly is, in my opinion. Um, he went to PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, in the uh, French League, which is pretty crazy. He's teaming up with uh, Neymar and Mbappe, who Neymar and uh, Messi were teammates with Luis Suarez at Barcelona at one point. So it's going to be pretty awesome to see. I've seen Mbappe, uh, I don't know his first name, 
but uh, he's a stud. Uh, it looks like he wants to go to Real Madrid. So it's pretty crazy. All these big names are moving around. But Lionel Messi, I don't know if as, as of the time I'm recording this, I'm not sure if he made his debut yet. I just know they made a ridiculous amount of money in like the first 24 hours. They made like hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, you know selling his jersey, the new PSG jersey. So going to be excited to see that. They're in the uh, Champions League. I think they play Man City uh, pretty soon in the Champions League, I want to say. So I'm looking forward to that. And then, like I said, Mbappe might be on the move as well. So that'll hurt PSG, but they got they got Messi and Neymar, so that'll be all right. But Mbappe going to um, Real Madrid, you know, it's going to be pretty awesome to see. And uh, speaking of Real Madrid, their former stud, Cristiano Ronaldo, a couple years ago, he went to Juventus. And um, now he was there for three years, lit it up. That's kind of a shitty league over there um, in Italy. But he's going back to the Premier League. It was rumored he was going to go to Manchester City which would have been just an absolute gong show in England because Cristiano Ronaldo started with Manchester United in the Premier League, and now um, he's going back home. He's not going to City. He's going back to United. Uh, just going to be unbelievable to have Ronaldo back in the Premier League. Uh, I'm a Liverpool guy myself, but they're going to be playing Manchester United on October 24th, so I cannot wait to see that. It's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I'm not sure when the first Premier League game or when uh, or game is or when Ronaldo is going to make his United debut for the second time, but it's going to be electric, and I can't wait to see that. It'd be cool. It, it would have been cool if we could get like Neymar and Messi to the Premier League, but the money's just so good where they're at, and um, you know PSG is a pretty good team, but at least in the Champions League. You get to see them match up against some of the other top teams in the world. And swig a beer for Ronaldo and Messi moving to different teams. Pretty exciting for the soccer world. Exciting to be a soccer fan right now, um, especially for Messi. You know, it's pretty odd. Gonna it's gonna be pretty odd seeing him in a different jersey. I gotta say that. I mean, you just seen him in Barcelona jerseys forever, and now he's rocking the PSG jersey. So can't wait to see him play. But swig a beer for those guys. Some other crazy news I saw in the world of sports. J.R. Smith, he had a pretty long career in uh, the NBA. He played for the Denver Nuggets. He played for the Cavaliers in Cleveland. I'm sure a couple other teams. I want to say the Atlanta Hawks. Um, he's he's a guy, he's, he's barely ever got his shirt on. He's always partying. He has a huge young money tattoo, like Lil Wayne's um, rap group. I don't even know if they're still together, to be honest with you. But on his neck, it's like a big YM. It kind of looks like a New York Yankee symbol, but it's the, it's the young money symbol. Um, this guy, he played, I think he made... I want to say $88 million, I think is the number I saw, career earnings in the NBA. He was just given eligibility to go back to college and play collegiate golf for uh, North Carolina A&T, whatever the hell that is. But he's had some incredible tweets. Like People are like, man, why are you going back to school? Blah, 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 blah. You're an idiot. Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, man, I want to learn something. And he wants to play golf. I have no idea how good of a golfer he is. He must be pretty good if he's able to make a college team. Um, I don't know if he's on scholarship or how that works or if he even needs the scholarship. Obviously he can make the, uh, you know, the tuition payments with the career earnings he has, but it's pretty cool. I mean, what a time it would be. Just think about that. What a time it would be to be in college, having made $88 million in your career. You probably got at least 30 or 40 million in the bank. You know, you gotta be having a great time on some of those trips. Uh, some of those road trips for golf. If you're on his golf team, you gotta be buddies with J.R. Smith because you're going out partying and having a hell of a time. Um, so I just cannot wait to see how this plays out. I hope you can get some like footage of his golf game and like just how, how cool would it be to just be playing golf with J.R. Smith like in college? I mean, this guy, he's like he's gotta be in his mid-30s, if not higher than that, or older than that, I should say. So um pretty crazy. I just thought that was awesome that the NCAA actually did something cool for once and granted him eligibility. 
you know, to play college golf after he had a long, successful NBA career. So, um, you know, swig a beer for J.R. Smith. That's pretty awesome. Like I mentioned, the NFL season's about 12 days away, I think, like I mentioned in the intro. And for the Pittsburgh Steelers, their uh, star all-pro pass rusher T.J. Watt, the brother of uh, J.J. Watt, He's in a little bit of a contract battle right now with the Steelers. I don't know if battle's the right term. He's not practicing. He's at practice. He's doing like workouts, but he's not practicing with the team. He's not playing in the preseason. He wants a new contract. It's been rumored he wants about $28 million a year, and I think like $100 million or so guaranteed over the life of the contract, maybe more than that. And my question to the listeners is, and I'll give you my opinion, but would you pay him that? Would you pay TJ Watt $28 million and maybe $100 million guaranteed? Those numbers might be off because I think the guaranteed money that he wants might be a little bit higher than that. But I'm not sure the length of the deal he's looking for. But if I'm the Steelers, I would not. I really wouldn't. Um, he's I think he's 26, so he's still really young. Uh, but the way the NFL contracts work, and I know you're not really supposed to be like on the side of the billionaire owners and everything, but... In the salary cap in the NFL is kind of a joke anyway because they can restructure the contract every year and make you know 90% of it a signing bonus and then the cap hit gets reduced and you can sign other players and all that stuff. It's kind of nerdy to get into all that, but it's fascinating how some of these uh, teams are so smart and they can manipulate the salary cap. But the way the NFL uh, contracts work and the collective bargaining agreement works with the players and the league each team, I believe, you're allowed to franchise tag one guy per year, which a franchise tag basically means you tag, say they want to tag TJ Watt at the end of this year. There's no contract negotiation or anything like that. He plays on that franchise tag or he sits out. The franchise tag, I believe, is the average of the top five salaries at that position. And then he makes that for that year. And then like if you, you can do it again the next year. I think you can do it twice. And then there's some other tag you can do the third time to the same player. You only get one of those per year. So basically TJ Watt would be making a lot of money next year if he gets franchise tagged. And if he gets franchise tagged again, the following year, he would still be making a lot of money, but he has no like long-term financial security because if he gets hurt that year and he can't play again, he only had that one year contract. So that's the big thing where the players don't want to get tagged. They want to get extended and get their guaranteed money, no matter what happens, if they get hurt or whatever the case may be. But if I'm the Steelers, I franchise tag him. I let him play this year. I franchise tag him next year. I franchise tag him the year after that. And you never know. You're going to get a disgruntled player. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, he kind of has to play or he doesn't get paid. You know, the the control is really with the, the franchise, the team, the Steelers in this case. And I think I certainly would probably franchise tag him and not give him that big deal. They got Minka Fitzpatrick coming up for a big deal. Uh, we'll see what happens with Roethlisberger. I think he's probably going to be done after this year. I think a lot of Steelers fans are hoping so. I'd say be careful what you wish for. The quarterback depth is not looking great, as well as Dwayne Haskins played early in the preseason. I'm not sure he's quite the answer. It's possible. Mason Rudolph stinks. I don't care what anybody says. He stinks. I don't even think I ever want to see that guy out on the field again. The only notable thing I've ever seen him do on the field is get his head bashed in by Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns. Maybe that's a little harsh, but honestly, that's what I think of Mason Rudolph. He was a jabroni when he got here. He's a jabroni now, and if he's the starter post-Roethlisberger, the Steelers are fucked. You heard it here, period. Um, that's that's my opinion. But honestly, I'd probably franchise tag TJ Watt. 
That would be what I would do, and I think that's what the Steelers are going to do if they can't come to a reasonable agreement. But the season, like I said, starts in 12 days, and there's no contract extension in sight as far as I've heard. Um, I'm, with my luck, they're probably signing a contract right now as I'm recording this, but you know, it's it's pretty crazy what's going on in Pittsburgh, and the Steelers usually don't bend on these things. They're not a type of franchise that gives in to their players' demands, and they usually know when to get rid of a player or when to move on. So maybe they franchise tag him once or twice and let him go when he's 28, 29 years old. Maybe that's the right thing to do. I can't really question the Steelers on this because they've been right so many times. Look at Le'Veon Bell. Look at Antonio Brown. Look at Santonio Holmes. The list goes on and on and on. The Steelers always know when to get rid of guys. And I'm not saying they're going to get rid of TJ Water. They should. I'm just saying they might want to think long and hard about paying this guy. You know, what kind of impact can TJ Watt really have for $30 million? I mean, Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in the NFL. I know people say that TJ Watt should have won the defensive player of the year this past year, and maybe even the year before that, when I think Stefan Gilmore for the Patriots won the defensive player of the year. But at the end of the day, the consensus best defensive player and maybe the best player in the league, period, is Aaron Donald for the Los Angeles Rams, uh, went to the University of Pittsburgh. Kind of makes me sick a little bit just having to say that he went to Pitt. Just think about all the players that Pitt had over the course of the last you know 20 years or so and how bad they've been as a program. And I know there's Pitt fans out there saying, well, they haven't been that bad. I mean, they're they're an 8-4 and four team at best. They had, And I know they didn't have all these guys at the same time, but just think of these names. Larry Fitzgerald, who Larry Fitzgerald was an absolute stud, uh, when he was there, he got gypped out of the Heisman for Jason White. It's funny, I was talking to my buddy Ack about this. Jason White won the Heisman, I can't. I think it was 2003, I want to say, uh, when Larry Fitzgerald came second and Eli Manning was third, I believe. But Jason White won the Heisman Trophy. And then two years later, he went like to the NFL draft and he didn't get drafted. He's like one of three players ever to win a Heisman Trophy and not get drafted. The other two was like one went to the NBA and the other one decided to go to the military, like back in the 50s or something ridiculous. So it's crazy what Jason White, I wonder what he's doing right now, man. That's unbelievable. What a drop off. And maybe it's a huge fluke that he won uh, the Heisman Trophy in uh, at Oklahoma. But he had a pretty good season from the stats that I looked at from what I remember. But I'm pretty sure Larry Fitzgerald had 22 touchdowns. That year, in like 1,500 yards in college. Unbelievable year. Uh, but they had Larry Fitz. They had Darrell Revis. They had LaShawn McCoy. They had Deion Lewis. I mean, they've had some players, like some unbelievable players. And not to mention Aaron Donald. I mean, Aaron Donald, now he's the best player in the uh, in the NFL and best defensive player, certainly. And he's not making what, JJ, or what TJ Watt is asking for. Excuse me. So I just don't see it. I don't see the Steelers doing it, and I don't think they should do it. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. Two more notes in the NFL. Um, I saw this the other day. I don't remember who did it or who the reporter was or the ex-football player was. I don't really even want to credit his name. He just is a jabroni. He played for the Patriots like in the early 90s uh, to mid-90s. I think he's a reporter there now in Foxborough for the Patriots. And just like this guy's take was so idiotic. He basically came out and said, Cam Newton, who's the quarterback up there, he's probably going to lose his job to rookie Mac Jones, who's having a hell of a camp and hell of a preseason. Um, You know, he, he's not playing well. Cam Newton's not playing well because the Patriots are playing rap music over the uh, loudspeaker at practice and in between plays and in between snaps and like in between series and stuff like that. He's dancing on the sidelines and all that and having a good time. And obviously people were putting videos up of Tom Brady dancing and saying it doesn't have any impact on him. And I don't even want to get into this guy's motives and whatever his, you know, the meaning behind his analysis or his takes or his tweets was. But I just want to ask people out there that have ever played sports or done anything, you know, it could be lifting weights, it could be working out, whatever the case may be, playing sports, doesn't matter. 
what kind of music do you listen to to get fired up for that? It's rap music, hip hop music, or maybe rock and roll. Maybe like if you put on some Enter Sandman, Metallica, and Virginia Tech fans go nuts. I can get that, but it's mostly like hip hop rap music. Like you're not going to be sitting there unless you're Mario Lemieux, who's one of a kind, unbelievable legend, would listen to Celine Dion and Frank Sinatra before games. I mean, this guy, he's one of a kind. You can't really compare him to anybody else. But most people like. I'm listening to some rap music. I love country music. I love rock music. I love pop music. I love 80s. I love all kind of music. But if I'm trying to work out or I'm trying to play hockey or I'm trying to do whatever, I'm pumping up the rap music, getting into my little Wayne bag, getting into Currency, Wiz Khalifa, doesn't matter, all those guys. I'm getting into some some rap music to get me fired up. You know that that's That's point blank. So I just thought this guy's take was idiotic. It just made no sense to me whatsoever. And speaking of making no sense, still with the NFL, I thought we were done with this shit. Like a couple years ago, they put in the rule that you couldn't dance in the end zone or whatever the case is. And then they took it out. And now they're, they went a complete 180. And now like a team makes a sack on third down and they sprint all the way to the other end of the field and all 12 of them flex for the camera and all that. And they let that go. But now they're getting back to this bullshit league where you can't do anything like they're they're finding guys and penalizing guys 15 yards for getting a first down getting up and pointing for a first down or potentially like you know flexing in somebody's face newsflash it's a competitive sport okay you're like emotions are high your adrenaline's high you just made a hell of a play in the nfl the hardest league in the world for that sport professional football you made a great play you ran somebody over you juked somebody whatever the case is you mossed somebody you made an unbelievable catch whatever you made a great throw you can't like chirp people. That's part of the game. Like if you don't want to get chirped and you don't want to get taunted, then don't let it happen in the first place. It's as simple as that. It's the old uh, Miami Hurricanes mantra back in the day um, when they had all those Hall of Fame players on the team, when they would just pump teams like 64 nothing, and they'd be fucking dancing on them when they're up like 57 nothing. You know, it's it just don't let us score. Don't let me get a first down. Don't let me run you over and I won't get up and flex. It's part of the game. It's entertainment. Like how boring are they trying to make this game? Like it, that makes no sense to me. I can understand like if you do kind of what Juju Smith-Schuster did a couple years ago to Vontez Perfect, which was unbelievable. As a Steelers fan, nobody had it coming worse than Vontez Perfect and it was a great hit. Just crown of the helmet right to the chin, knocked him out cold, and he deserved it because Vontez Perfect had been doing that for a long time to a lot of players. You never want to see guys get hurt, but if anybody needed a wake-up call and to get his bell rung, it was Vontez Perfect. But then Juju stood over him as he's completely knocked out, stood over him and was flexing and talking shit. I can understand that's a taunting penalty. But when you get up and you just do a quick like flex or a quick first down point in somebody's face and you're getting flagged and potentially fined, get out of here, NFL. It's going to go back to the no fun league. And good thing the Rocks bring them back to the XFL because, um, the, dude, the original XFL was incredible. You remember they used to have – they'd be like, uh, in, at halftime, we're going to go into the women's locker room or the cheerleaders' locker room or whatever. <laughs> it was like half WWE or WWF and then half football and like – Oh man, but that's kind of what the NFL is going for. You know, they're they're gearing back towards. I don't know who's making these decisions, but that league is obviously the most profitable league, you know, American professional sports league in the world at least. And they're just doing everything they possibly can to screw it up. I just don't understand it. Um I really really don't get it. But uh, you know, swig a beer for the players out there. Keep taunting, keep running guys over, and if you don't like it, don't let it happen. <sighs> 
a little bit of college football talk. I just wanted to talk about something I, you know, it's been out for a little while, but I haven't mentioned on the podcast. I really don't know a whole hell of a lot about it, but I think it's pretty cool when it's about damn time some of these players uh, start getting their name, image, and likeness. The uh, the NIL payments, I think, or I don't know if they're shortening it and calling it nil or whatever, but the the name, image, and likeness where players can profit off their own name. You know, their pictures, they can sign autographs. Uh, in video games, if you put a player in there, like say, you know, the running back for West Virginia wears number one, and in the NCAA video game that's coming out here in a couple of years, they have the number one running back for West Virginia. He should get paid from that off the sales of the game. Like the, it's just common sense to me. I know people sit at, sit there and we can have this conversation and I'd love to have it with somebody that maybe has an opposing viewpoint to me. I think that'd be pretty entertaining for the podcast, but I know that they get their scholarships and they get their college paid for and all that stuff. And, you know, potentially they have, um, easier courses or people tutoring them or helping them. I mean, I know when I went to WVU, I had some football players in my classes and they never showed up and they probably had better grades than me. Um, so I, I get all that. I understand that, but your tuition is not like your everyday expenses. So like, think about it when, you know, whenever I went to school, we didn't have a lot of money. Like I didn't, I didn't have shit. Like I, you know, we had to basically just make, you know, um, our money stretch as much as possible, drink the cheapest beers, um, you know, all that stuff. So these guys are generating millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars for these universities, mainly like football and basketball players. And then like, they can't even go out to eat. They don't have enough money to go out to eat like a regular college student. They're not a regular college student. So like the, the school's profiting off of them. They should be able to profit off of them. This NIL name, image, and likeness deal that they have now, um, it's great that they're able to do that. They can go out and s- sign autographs. They can charge whatever they want to charge. Uh, they should get a percentage of the jerseys that uh, the school sells, stuff like that. Like I said, I don't know all the details, but I'm sure it's not enough. I'm sure it's nowhere near as much as they should be getting, especially teams like Alabama and like the quarterbacks and like you know, the, the main top players, the Heisman level players and stuff like that, that are really, really generating this TV revenue. Uh, the amount of money the NCAA makes, the amount of money these universities make. I mean, they're paying these coaches seven, $8 million a year and their players are getting paid nothing. That's where it's wrong. That's what's ridiculous about this. I honestly think they should just make it like get rid of the NCAA. And I think they're going to eventually now that all these conferences are joining together. Um, like everybody wants to go to the SEC. They should just make like two big conferences have their own league, you know, maybe like 32 teams or 40 teams or whatever the case may be. And then all the other schools that really have no chance ever to win the national championship, really, that's only like four or five realistically in the country. But like outside of those 40 or whatever, they pick from the power five schools and make two conferences, have their own league. And then everybody else can just play for another championship, like just have a different league for all the lesser lights. You know what I'm saying? I'm not knocking those teams, but it would give those teams a chance to win a chance to play for something, not play in like the Meineke car care bowl or some bullshit bowl that nobody cares about. So I think that's the way it's going to go. I think that's the way it should go. I do think they need to do more to compensate these players. The biggest problem is like people that are on like the cross country team or on the track team or the swimming team that nobody goes to their events except for the families. They're going to want their money too, and they deserve it. But it should be based on like how much revenue you bring into the school. If you're Alabama football and you're bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars to the school, 
then you should be getting a ridiculous amount of money compared to the guy that's on the you know the fencing team. You know what I'm saying? That's just me. That's my philosophy. Any listeners out there, anybody out there that wants to come on and talk about it, I'd love to hear your opinion, hear the other side, chat about it. Um, definitely would love to learn something from your point of view. So definitely reach out to me on that. But that's my opinion, and I'm glad it, it's a it's a step in the right direction that the NCAA hopefully will be going away soon. And um, the players are starting to get their money. And hopefully that goddamn NCAA football game comes out soon because I've been wanting to play that some bitch since like 2014, the last one. Because that game was always better than Madden. It was always better than Madden. They always took so much time, resources, money. Everything went into Madden, and the game was always the shits. But NCAA was always sick. It was always awesome. You were running the option with Pat White and Noel Devine, and Pat White and Steve Slayton, and uh, man... Just an unbelievable uh, video game. And I know I got sidetracked there, but I, I hope it comes out. So swig a beer for the players getting their money, uh, getting a chance to make some money off their name. Because honestly, why? It's my name. If somebody wants to pay me, Tim the accountant, to sign my name, I don't care where I work or what I do. I should be able to make money off my own name. That's just the way I see it. So swig a beer for those players. And I know we're about an hour in here, and I haven't talked any NHL so far this week. Uh, so I definitely want to jump into that a little bit. Some contract updates, because it's been a pretty quiet summer. We're in the dog days of the uh, NHL offseason here at the end of August. and um, But some contract updates. Sean Couturier, the stud second-line center, great checking center for the Philadelphia Flyers, signed a massive contract. Eight years, $62 million, $7.75 million a year. Pretty crazy, because I think he has one more year on his current deal. So he signed up for uh, nine more years and he'll turn 30 in October. So he's going to be like, or he'll turn 30 next October. I'm sorry. So he'll be like 38 when this contract is up. So pretty crazy, great financial security for him. I think a little bit of an overpay in a sense of contract years. I would have went shorter if I'm Philadelphia. He's a great player, um, but he's already kind of slow. He's more of a checker. I think he caps out at like 70 points, 75 points, somewhere in there. So I'm not sure he's really worth that much money. But hey, it's Philadelphia. I hope they pay everybody 10 million and they go way over the or they go right up against the salary cap and can't do anything. But I think it's a bad signing, honestly, for the the length of the term. That's my opinion on Philadelphia there. Um, Andre Svechnikov. Svechnikov is an absolute stud for the Carolina Hurricanes. He got the exact same deal. He's much younger. I think he's 21. I want to say he's 21. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. He's 21. So he got the same deal. So this guy got 62 sheets, and he's going to go out. He's going to be uh, he's restricted free agent this year. So he's going to be like 29 when he signs his next deal. So he's going to make a boatload of cash. And Carolina, man, they're scary. They are scary. They got Sebastian Ajo. Uh, Tavo Teravainen, Jacob Slavin, um, Brett Pesci. They got their goaltender now with Freddie Anderson. Now they got Andre Svechnikov signed up. They've got their core in place. Um, they're going to be dangerous for a long time here, at least for the next three seasons. Their window is wide open with all those guys signed up. So great signing for that. Um, and I saw something awesome too that ESPN is actually talking to the NHL, and I don't know how realistic this is. Um, but would be pretty cool. And, and I'm not sure when the players or when they would do this game or if the players would want to participate or whatever the case may be. But ESPN's trying to petition the NHL to have a KHL versus NHL All-Star game, which would be the KHL is the Continental Hockey League, which is the Russian Professional League, formerly known as the Russian Super League. Um, that would be pretty sick. I mean, the competition between the NHL and the KHL is not even close. The NHL would probably dummy them. Uh, but I wonder if they do like a series or they do one game or they do something similar to how like the Canadians and the Russians did back in the 70s with the Summit Series. 
uh, where they played eight games, four in Moscow, four in Canada. And, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be pretty awesome to see. It'd be, it'd be cool to get like, um, you know, some other teams involved too, like maybe some Europe leagues or get like a European team, um, of all stars and stuff like that and see how they stack up. I mean, the NHL is the best league in the world by far, and they'd probably win by a landslide. But I think it's a pretty cool idea, and we'll see what comes of it. Um, it'd be pretty difficult, I think, because I think the KHL is on a much different schedule than the NHL. And I'm not sure like the NHL wants to do that in the middle of the season and maybe interfere with their all-star game um, or whatever the case is. And if you do it in the summertime, maybe like the World Cup of Hockey they used to do, you know, maybe the players don't want to participate. They don't want to play in July. They want to you know, be off and training and resting and stuff for the upcoming season and don't want to potentially get hurt in a meaningless game. But I think it's a pretty cool idea. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury, he's going to make his debut for the Chicago Blackhawks um, this season. Two things on him. One, the Chicago Blackhawks released a uh, picture of all their players' uh, sweaters with their names on it to get the fans excited. And sure as shit, they misspelled Marc-Andre Fleury's name. Incredible. Uh, they had to change it real quick. The fans were just dummying them on Twitter. Um, so bad look for the Blackhawks there. But a cool thing about the Blackhawks is the Pittsburgh Penguins' home opener this year. So their first two games are on the road. Um, and then they their third game is at home. It's against the Chicago Blackhawks. So home opener, and they got Marc-Andre Fleury coming to town. That's pretty cool. And uh, I'm pretty sure the schedule was out before Fleury went to Chicago, so nothing like the league setting that up. But that's going to be awesome to see because I know the last time, the, the, the first time he came with um, Vegas, it was pretty emotional, and it was a crazy night, and they had a great tribute to him. And the fans here in Pittsburgh, they love him now. They didn't love him when he was here, but they love him now, you know, because he's gone now. But he potentially might come back next year from everything I'm hearing. You know, he's a unrestricted free agent after this season, and he might come to, back to Pittsburgh and sign a really cheap deal and ride out off under the sunset here at the end of his career, maybe the last couple of years with Pittsburgh. But pretty cool to see that. Um, I'm going to have, like I mentioned before, I'm going to have, um, as training camp approaches, I'm going to have my buddy Jeff on the podcast. He's one of the biggest Marc-Andre Fleury uh, fans of all time. Loves him. He actually got me, he knows I like to chirp Fleury. He actually got me a Marc-Andre Fleury picture um, that somebody drew somebody in Canada an unbelievable drawing I'll have to take a picture of it and tweet it out but in a Vegas Golden Knights jersey I got it uh, up on my little um, wall here in the man cave but I'm gonna have him on the podcast so I can't wait to dive into that because him and I always get into some some intense uh, you know debates about Marc-Andre Fleury but you know there's no doubt he's a hell of a player uh, and there's no doubt he's been getting screwed over uh, by the Blackhawks here and by the, or by the Vegas Golden Knights. Now the Blackhawks, obviously, misspelling his name. Um, but can't wait for the start of the season. It's going to be pretty cool to see him come to town. Uh, staying in the goal crease, Henrik Lundqvist. What a career this guy had. Um, he retired. He had a bunch of run-ins with the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs. Um, he had, I think he's the goalie, or uh, the Penguins are the team that he's faced the most in his playoff career as a goaltender. Um, no Stanley Cups. He made the Stanley Cup final and lost to the LA Kings on that famous Alec Martinez goal, one of the best goal calls from Doc Emmerich um, in overtime. I think it was double overtime on a shot from Tyler Toffoli. And uh, Alec Martinez banged in the rebound for the win in LA. The place went bananas. Um, it was an awesome moment. But Henrik Lundqvist, he had a bit of a health scare. We talked about you know, uh, many episodes ago at the beginning of last season, right after he signed with the Washington Capitals, he's going to call it a career. So congratulations to Henrik Lundqvist. 
I personally, I don't want to shit on the guy on his uh, when you know whenever he's retiring. I have a lot of respect for Henrik Lundqvist. Him and Sidney Crosby have had some run-ins where uh, he told Crosby to quit diving one time. Crosby cross-checked him, and a big fight happened. A few years later, Crosby got knocked down in front of the net at the end of the period. And um, Henrik Lundqvist unscrewed his water bottle as he was skating off and dumped the water on Crosby's head. Uh, so a lot of run-ins there. Uh, I think they're buddies off the ice. And, man, Henrik Lundqvist is one handsome son of a bitch. He is one handsome son of a bitch. Uh, so, I, like I said, I don't like the shit on him, but I always thought he was a bit overrated. Um, he was He played for New York, so that obviously plays into it. But like I said, he never won a Stanley Cup. He was never really the problem there. They never had really any scoring whenever he was at the top of his game. Now, if he was like maybe seven, eight years younger and they had the team they have now with the young studs like Alexi Lafreniere, um, Capo Caco, Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, like a bunch of players like that. You know, on the back end, they got Jakob Truba and Adam Fox. You know, if they had the players that they have now offensively, whenever he was at the top of his game, you know, we might have be having a different conversation. He might have a couple rings. Uh, but I always thought he was overrated just based on him playing in New York, and that's my opinion. Um, and the Penguins usually lit him up um, in the postseason and really in the regular season too. Most famously in the playoffs, uh, I think it was in the playoffs, when he got pissed off about something and the Penguins were coming down on a two-on-one and he turned around and flipped the goal and head over. That was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, I've never seen a goalie do that, but he just turned around and knocked the net off the moorings on purpose for a penalty. Um, just, you know, he was a whiny little bitch at times. And I thought... He honestly, like, if you watch some of the highlights, what I really didn't like about him was whenever he would let in a goal, almost always, he'd throw his arms up in the air, like almost blaming his defenseman. And uh, I really didn't like that. Obviously, I don't play for the Rangers. I never played with him. And I don't think any of his teammates would have anything bad to say about him. He seems like a nice guy, but it always rubbed me the wrong way that he did that. But again, I don't want to bash on Lundqvist. Hell of a career. I hope he's okay health-wise. I hope he's happy. I'm sure he'll get into coaching or he'll get into analysis or something like that, and he'll be great at that. Um, But swig a beer for Henrik Lundqvist. Hell of a career. And, um, you know, the NHL is definitely going to miss the king. Staying in the state of New York, the Buffalo Sabres, Jack Eichel. This guy still has not been traded. He's doing everything he can to get the hell out of Buffalo. He wants to be gone. He can't stand the Sabres organization. He finally changed agents, and now he's represented by Pat Brisson, who also um, represents the likes of Sidney Crosby, uh, Nate McKinnon, a couple other high-end players in the NHL, uh, one of the best um agents in the business and it and it, it should be noted that Pat Brisson is really good friends with Mark Bergevin the GM of the Montreal Canadiens so keep a lookout for Montreal uh to maybe possibly make a trade for Jack Eichel but Jack's just wanting to get traded and training camp's coming up and the coach for the Buffalo Sabres came out basically and said when camp gets here I don't want any distractions whoever's here is who we're going with and maybe they're honestly like I said before I said I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the team to start the season and that's going to piss Jack Eichel off. It's going to piss Pat Brisson off. And it's not going to be good for the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, they're already going to be dog shit this year. But with Jack Eichel in the lineup and him moping and him pissed off and him pulling a Pierre-Luc Dubois and moping around and not putting in any in any effort, you know, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch from afar. If you're a Sabres fan, I feel for you. But just trade the guy already. I mean, they're they're trying to get a haul. They're trying to get like six players. It's just ridiculous what they're trying to get for this guy, what's rumored. And you have no leverage. He doesn't want to play there. He's going to be a detriment to your team. He's going to be, you know, 
he's going to be toxic in the locker room. He's not going to want to be there. The other team uh, or the other players on the team know he doesn't want to be there. It's nothing personal to them. It's just he doesn't trust the organization and it's a bad marriage and it needs to end. And, you know, I just don't know what what Buffalo thinks they're going to get when they have no leverage. They're dragging this thing on and it's just going to get worse and worse as the days go on. Um, Speaking of McKinnon, did anybody see the McKinnon review by like Nikita Zadorov, the uh, defenseman? I think he just signed a contract in Calgary. He was in Chicago last year, but he used to play in Colorado with McKinnon. And he basically came out and had this big, long um, article. Now, granted, it was translated from Russian, so it could be, you know, some things lost in translation there. But he basically was saying, you know, McKinnon is so dialed into his diet. Um, he, like, screams at his teammates if anybody's eating ice cream or anybody's, like, eating snacks during the season. He tells the team, you have the offseason to do that. You have the offseason to drink and stuff like that. If you want to win the Stanley Cup, you have to do this, blah, 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 blah. If they're in practice, um, you know, if somebody makes a pass to him that's not right on the tape or it's, like, behind him or something, he doesn't even play it. He just screams at them to make them, make sure that they make a better pass and makes them do it over again and stuff like that. And some people thought that was harsh. And maybe it's overblown a little bit. Like I said, the translation might be, you know, some things might get lost in that in terms of whether he was joking or not, or if he's exaggerating or whatever the case may be. But that doesn't surprise me at all because McKinnon and Sidney Crosby are so close and Crosby demands perfection. Like if you watch Crosby early in his career, he would scream at his own line mates if they made a bad play. And he still does. He still does. um, And he even admits it that he tries to get better at it every day. But, you know, people don't see the game that way. Like he's so exceptional that he just sees the game differently than everybody else above everybody else, even the people in the NHL, even the pros. And, you know, it's difficult whenever Sidney Crosby can do anything on the ice and there's other guys that can't, he can't quite understand how they can't do that. And it kind of shows and he gets frustrated. Um, He's been a lot better, you know, in the last few years, obviously, but you could sense his frustration early on in his career. And I think that's what you're seeing with Nathan McKinnon. He's the same way. Um, He's got to learn through it. You got to realize your teammates aren't as good as you or every player is different. They don't all think the same. They don't all see the game the same. They don't all play the same. Uh, But you got to find the best in each, you know, in each teammate and their strengths and help their weaknesses and stuff like that. Um, But I thought it was interesting that Zadorov said that. And uh, I'd be interested to see if McKinnon would ever comment on it. He's a bit of a hothead. And I think if somebody actually asked him the question, and maybe they have, I just haven't read the articles, um, or maybe he just deflected and he pulled the page out of Sidney Crosby's book and went with the you know the PC answer and didn't say anything of substance. Um, but I'd love to see McKinnon like maybe get on a podcast like Spitting Chicklets or something like that and open up a little bit about about that and about what he does and about Zadorov's comments. I would really enjoy the hell out of that. But swig a beer for Nate McKinnon. He's one of my favorite players in the NHL, and he's going to get a Stanley Cup sooner or later, especially playing like that and holding guys accountable. It's very difficult to slack. It's very difficult to kind of you know, ease up on your diet and not put 100% in when you see the best player in the league or one of the best players in the league, arguably, and the best player on your team by a long shot, really going that extra mile, being out on the practice ice early, you know, really dialed into his um, uh, his diet. You know, they, they said, uh, Zodorov said in the article, basically, that McKinnon has a live-in chef. Um, he's got like a doctor that travels with them, that stays at his house. He pays him like, you know, a thousand dollars a day or something like that as like a therapist. So he's really, really dialed in and he really wants to win. So I'm hoping he does. Um, at the end of the day, though, you still got to have some fun. So if all that's true and it's all business, 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 and he's not having fun at the end of the day, that's not going to be healthy. But man, I really hope uh, McKinnon keeps it going here and the, and the Colorado Avalanche get the job done uh, pretty soon. So swig a beer for Nathan McKinnon and the Colorado Avalanche.
staying in the Central Division, the Arizona Coyotes. They might be on the move after this year, and this has been rumored for a long time. So they, they play in the Gila River Arena in uh, Glendale, Arizona, which is not really close to Phoenix from what I understand. I haven't been out there for a long time, but um, I think it, I mean it's not far, but it's not like in town. So maybe it's like 40 minutes away or so. They want The Coyotes want an arena in Phoenix. They're having problems with the, the city, the municipality, the state, whatever the case may be, the taxpayers. And Gila River Arena basically exercised their option to back out of the lease after this coming season. So right now, as of right now, as I'm recording this, the Coyotes have nowhere to play next year. And everybody thinks they're going to move to a different city, maybe Houston, Texas, or Quebec City um, in Quebec, Canada. Um, and that would be awesome. Either one of those places, but preferably Quebec City would be sick. Bring back the Nordiques and get out of Arizona. Because, I mean, it's just, Arizona is a beautiful place, but it's just not, you know, they've been pretty bad for a long time. Um, but it's also rumored too, that maybe the, you know, the, uh, city is kind of trying to use that as leverage in their arena negotiations or whatever the case may be. So, or the, you know, it, it it's a, it's a long, long, uh, battle coming here, but honestly, I think they're going to move. And even if they, um, say it right now that they're not going to, I think like they don't even have a new arena yet. There's no plans. They've been arguing about this for a long time. The team was bankrupt a couple years ago. The NHL had to take over and own them essentially, um, and float them so they can maintain their payroll and all that stuff. Um, I'm not really cr- sure how all that works. It's all crazy to me, but the Coyotes, I think they'd be better suited in a different city, and I think a lot of people would say the same. Um, and hopefully, that's Quebec City. So you feel bad for any true fans out there in, uh, you know, Scottsdale, Glendale, Phoenix area, out in Arizona, and Austin Matthews. I mean, Austin Matthews is one of the best players in the NHL. He grew up out there in Arizona, and maybe he doesn't play hockey if they don't have the Coyotes out there. So it kind of stinks from that perspective. Um, but I think from a hockey market perspective. In tradition and everything, it'd be awesome to get a team back in Quebec uh, and bring the Nordiques back in uh, in the NHL. And last thing I want to say on hockey, um, just a horrible, horrible tragedy uh, this past week. And it's been pretty tough on the hockey community the last couple months. Um, first, they had Matisse Kavlenix, the goaltender for the Columbus Blue Jackets I talked about, that passed away in a fireworks accident over the 4th of July, uh, shielding some people and protecting some people. And um, I just saw he had a he had a baby born, I believe. So that's very very sad. And uh, this past week, Jimmy Hayes, one of the uh, just the one of the coolest guys in the room, one of the best locker room guys, all the NHL players that ever play with him talk about. He's the brother of Kevin Hayes, who plays for the Philadelphia Flyers. He's great friends with uh, all the guys at Barstool Sports. He had his own podcast uh, called Missing Curfew with Shane O'Brien and uh, Scotty Upshaw. The NHL great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, definitely check it out. Um, he was 31 years old. He was on Instagram on Sunday night, last Sunday. Uh, it was his son's birthday party, his two year old's birthday party. He also has a three month old baby. They were having a great time. And then Monday morning, he didn't wake up, uh, passed away. They had an autopsy. They didn't say, um, or they couldn't conclude on what the cause was, which is pretty crazy. Just a terrible, terrible, terrible tragedy. Uh, Jimmy Hayes, he was 31 years old. Like I, like I mentioned, um, two kids, one two years old and one three months old. And I have a two-year-old. I can't even imagine what that two-year-old is going through and what the wife's going through. You feel so bad for the family. Um, on behalf of the Rambling Bruce podcast, on behalf of me, um, the hockey community, you know, we, we definitely send our condolences to his family. 
and uh, their friends and their kids and everything like that. Just an unspeakable tragedy. So uh, rest in peace to Jimmy Hayes. And I don't want to end the podcast on a somber note. Uh, did anybody see Kanye West and Drake's little beef they've got going on here where Kanye West dropped uh, Drake's address on Instagram and they've been going back and forth about their album release date and they've got a well-documented beef you can dive into uh, just about Drake's personal life that Kanye exposed, uh, stuff like that. Kim Kardashian West is kind of involved a little bit. Uh, my wife always watches Daily Pop and you know, uh, on, uh, E news or whatever the hell that station is. And they were talking about it. And like Kanye has just lost his mind. And he had another one of those, uh, listening parties at soldier field in Chicago, where the bears play just like weeks before the season starts and completely destroying the field. He put a big ass mound of dirt and then built like a, he like reconstructed his childhood home on top of the dirt. And he's up there uh, singing on the stairs with uh, Marilyn Manson of all people. Uh, Marilyn Manson was there. I haven't seen that guy in 20 years. Um, I don't even, I can't even tell you one song Marilyn Manson sings. He's a creepy looking guy. Uh, but I just don't know why he was there with Kanye West. And I think DaBaby was there, the rapper, DaBaby. Um, you know, he sold out the place again. Incredible. The music sounds great. That's always been Kanye's thing. His music is always great. It's just the guy, him. He's insane. He's just like, he, he can't control his emotions. Um, you know, I don't know if he's off his medication, stuff like that. He's just kind of a loose cannon. But the music is always there, and it sounds legendary. I can't wait to hear it. But just like, what do you guys think of Kanye West just having these listening parties? They're basically concerts. He's charging people a shit ton of money to come to these things. And he's playing like half-finished records that are great. And honestly, I saw a funny tweet because um, he's doing all this shit. Like it was like he reconstructed his house, like I mentioned for the concert. He, you know, blah 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 blah. He did all this stuff. I think he went. He like bought his childhood home in Chicago and re renovated it for whoever the person is that lives there or whatever, something like that. And somebody's like, "Yo, Kanye's doing everything but dropping the album." <laughs> like exactly. Like he was supposed to drop the album like a month and a half ago. It still hasn't come out yet. Um, and it's all it's doing is building up a ton of anticipation. And if it flops. Um, you know, that's going to hurt Kanye's ego, obviously, and his mental health. So I think he's doing himself a disservice. I just dropped the, uh, dropped the album. And, you know, if him and Drake drop on the same day, we'll see what happens. Maybe they're using all this as kind of a, a ploy to get big stream numbers and big sales. So we'll see what happens. Um, I can't wait to listen to both albums. But on that note, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, we're getting down to the wire here. Baby boy Morel's coming. We still don't have a name picked out yet. My wife's getting on me for that. She keeps asking me, but I'm more of a rash decision kind of guy. I got a couple ideas in my head. She has a couple ideas in her head. We've discussed a little bit, but we usually, uh, or at least I don't want to make a decision really until I'm in the hospital and I can see the baby and I kind of get a feel for it. That's how I am, but um, you know that's where we're at right now. So I'm going to continue to try to drop these podcasts. Um, you know, after the baby comes and. Uh, you know, keep rolling here into the NHL season, the NFL season, college football is kicking off, baseball is winding down, thank God. Uh, so until then, hope you guys have a hell of a week. Grab yourself a cold Coors Light, and remember, if I don't see you around here, I'll see you around. Here.
Personality, the cult of personality. 